Well, good morning, Coastal. How y'all doing? <laughs> Welcome, 915. So glad to have you guys here. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are beginning a brand new series today called Anything But Ordinary. And, and I'm really excited about this series because I, I believe that it's going to be Number one, a great series, but two, I, I believe that it's really going really gonna to challenge some of us in, in our faith journeys, and I think that that's a really, really important thing in life if we do want to have a life that is anything but ordinary. And so today, if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10, that's where we're going to be hanging out. If you don't have a Bible, you can take a look at the, the screen behind you, or you can look in your worship guide. All the scriptures are going to be in there, and uh, also there's a thing in the top right hand corner. It's called a QR code. You can scan that and it'll take you to version, and all the notes will be there as well. But um, it's going to be a great, great series because I believe that this year uh, nobody really, really wants to be ordinary. Nobody wants to just have another year, a mundane life, but everybody wants to have a life that is different, a life that's significant, a life that is meaningful. And, and really what it comes down to in order to have that is it comes down to decisions that you're going to make. In order to have a different life, you're going to have to make some different decisions. And there's going to be opportunities that are presented before you this year that you're going to have choices in. And the decisions you make in those opportunities are going to determine whether you just continue living life the same way you've been living it. Or if you have a life that is completely different than what has been normal, what has been mundane, and what has been ordinary. And, uh, and really, this, this series comes out of a thought by this old revivalist that is one of my favorite quotes. His name is Leonard Ravenhill. And he says this. He says, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of that opportunity. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of that opportunity, which means that there are going to be things that are presented before you and I that is only going to change our lives if we make a decision right then. If those things pass us by, it's not like we can go back in time and change those things. Those opportunities are only there for a momentary amount of time, and when that time has passed, our opportunity has passed. And so if this year it's going to be different, then we've got to look at some things differently. This week I was reading this article that, that really kind of struck me in, in a profound way. It was, it was talking about the emotions that are most expressed in daily conversation. They said the emotion that's most expressed in daily conversation with other people is love. It's, you know, a husband to a spouse, a boyfriend to a girlfriend, a parent to a child, a friend to a friend, you know, expressing love to one another is the most common emotion that was expressed between people. The second most common emotion that was expressed between people was really, really interesting to me, though. They said the second most expressed emotion between people was regret. Is regret like, like, I wish I wouldn't have eaten what I ate today. Or, I wish that I would have taken that job opportunity. Or, I wish I would have asked that person out. Or, I wish I didn't ask that person out. And people live life with regret. And, the, and, and, and if you've ever experienced regret in life, you know that regret has this really, really unique sting to it. It just, it's something about it because regret is, is the thing that you feel when you had the power to do something and you did nothing at all in that moment. And you missed out on the opportunity that was before you. 
And, and you know, there's, there's things that regret happens all the time. You know, there's some things that don't, I don't regret, and there's some things that I do regret. I think about, I, I'm disappointed in the Dolphin season this way. Let me, let me explain it like this. Anybody disappointed in how the Dolphin season ended? A couple of Miami fans out there, like, you, you, you know, it's, it's disappointing. Like, they just somehow know how to lose. And, like, I'm, I'm disappointed about the Dolphin season, but I don't regret the Dolphin season. You want to know why? Because I had no power to control how they ended the season. Like, I had no influence on what happened in those last three games. Now, Ryan Tannehill, that dude wakes up every morning with regret. Because if he went into throwing, like, 47 interceptions to end the season, like, they might have made the playoffs. They might be in the Super Bowl next week. So every day, that dude is, one, is like, man, I regret throwing that pass. I regret throwing this pass. Why? Because he had the power to control his situation. And he messed up. And the Bible is full of people that had regret in their life. You'd go back to the, the very beginning, Adam and Eve. They made some really, really poor decisions, ate some fruit from a tree, and, man, they regretted that decision. I regret that decision that they made. You think about Esau selling his birthright for a bowl of stew. He, I guarantee, regretted that decision. You think about Abraham, uh, you know, killing the Egyptian and having murder in his life, I guarantee he regretted that decision. You think about Peter in the New Testament denying Jesus over and over and over again when he told Jesus, I will never deny you. I'm sure he regretted that decision. And all of us, in some form or fashion, have some regret in our lives. In fact, when I was leaving the church that I was at before, it's called Baseline Community Church, uh, a little over four years ago, one of the people asked me, I'd been there for seven years as a senior associate pastor, and uh, had a lot of great opportunities, got to do a lot of cool things. And, and somebody asked me, like, what is the one thing that you wish you would have done differently while you were here at Bayside? Basically, they were saying, what do you regret the most about your time here at Bayside? And I was thinking through, you know, just the different things. And, and I was thinking about, you know, people that I gave bad advice to. And I was like, man, I regret that advice and, uh, or, or situations that I was in. And, and I, re I remember back to one particular situation that basically came down to uh, my pastor was in a bond. I'd gone through this season where I, I wasn't allowed to speak because I'd really bombed a message one weekend, and so they put me on like a two-year uh, hiatus from speaking. It was really that bad, and, uh, and, and so and, and in a desperate situation, my pastor was like sick, and he came to me, and he said, man, I need you to speak this weekend, and, and I told him no. Um, not because I, I wasn't able to. I did it because I was afraid to. And I think most of the regret that is in my life comes down to three words, lack of faith. Just straight up, 100% lack of faith. Lack of faith of trusting in that moment that, that God can do something greater in it. And, and, and here's the thing that I know about all of us, if you're a Christ follower in here, is that in order to be a Christ follower, you've got to have faith. I mean, that's, that's kind of a prerequisite. And, and you have faith in, in a God that you've never seen. I mean, that's, that's kind of a big deal. And you have faith that he had a son, he sent him to earth to die on a cross and then rise three days later so that you and I could be saved. I mean, that takes a lot of faith. And, and you think about your life and you think about the faith that you have. And I think about the faith that I have. And I, and I think to myself, like, that's a lot of stinking faith right there, but that's usually where most of us end right there, 
in our faith journey. Like, that's a lot of faith for right now, right here in this moment. I mean, that's asking a lot to go beyond that. And, and so we look at that and we say, man, that's a big deal. Like, you can't see God. You don't know that Jesus lived technically. And so, like, that's asking a lot from me. And then you go and you read the Bible and you hear stories of Abraham and you hear stories of Moses and you hear stories all throughout here of people that had ridiculous faith. And you're just like, 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 what kind, like, I don't know how they, it's almost like they have superhero faith. Like, it's a special power and the rest of us are just screwed. But the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six 6 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I love, Stephen Furtick wrote a book called Stun, Stand Still, and this is what he says about faith. He says, it doesn't get any plainer than that. Faith isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's the most vital building block of your relationship with God. Did you hear that? He says, man, faith is the most vital building block of your relationship with God. And he goes on to say, and it's the only real foundation worth establishing your life on. That's some pretty serious stuff when you start to think about faith like that. Faith isn't just like some add-on to your Christian life. Faith is the essence of your Christian life. And, and, and I'm confident of this, and that in order for you and I, if we're going to live this life that is anything but ordinary— this is going to be different than anything that we've done. It's going to require much more faith than what we're currently operating in. It's going to require more of us than we're ready to give. And, and this verse, this Hebrews eleven six, 6, honestly has been inspired me all the year. It's been like one of those verses that's just been gnawing on me personally. And I was working on my personal mission statement for the year. And it's something I always try to do every year. And it was really, really based off this. And, and this is what I wrote for myself. And, and I'm going to throw it out there. And usually I don't share this because then I have to actually do it. And so... Um, but I want to put it out there for everybody because I think that's important. And this is what I wrote for myself. I said, I want to accomplish ridiculously amazing things for God. And I want to inspire a community of others to do the same. Man, I, I, I want to accomplish ridiculously big things for God. That's why today uh, we're launching a service in Pompano Beach today. Uh, it, it is set up right now. They're doing run-throughs right now. They're praying. They're believing that God is sending a buttload of people over there. That they, We're going to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church because we believe that God wants to do ridiculously big things in our community. I believe that God wants to do ridiculously big things in your life. And today we're going to be looking at a guy in the Old Testament named Joshua. And uh, I want to kind of give you some backstory so you understand who Joshua is and, and understand the situation that he finds himself in. And so Joshua has a really, really unique perspective in the Old Testament. He was born into slavery in Egypt. And um, during his, his childhood, he was, as he was growing up, Moses came into the picture. And we've all watched the Charlton Heston movie. And so Moses shows up on the scene and says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And... Pharaoh doesn't, and so plagues and all these things happen, and eventually Pharaoh lets them go miraculous, and they're traveling out, and all of a sudden Pharaoh realizes that, man, my, my entire workforce has just left, and so he chases after them, and the Israelites are, are making their way off, and they find themselves backed up against the Red Sea, and in a miraculous thing, Moses prays, talks to God, and the Red Sea parts, the Israelites pass through. As the Egyptians come after them, man, the, the water comes crashing down, kills 
all of them. Their enemies are decimated. I mean, a huge miracle. Joshua is a part of this. Then they get into the desert as they're making their way to the promised land. And, and miracle after miracle happens. I mean, Joshua gets to see God feed the Israelites with manna from heaven. Every day they wake up and there's food outside. They're being led during the night by a cloud of fire during the day by just a cloud and and just seeing all these amazing things and then they get to their promised land and when they get there as they're getting there what's happening because of Joshua's faithfulness he starts to rise in prominence and soon he becomes Moses's assistant I mean that's like kind of a big deal Moses is the man he's he's got it going on he's all that in a bag of chips he's got some guacamole dip on the side I mean he is just baller status and so like to be second in command to the dude that's in charge is a big deal and so they get to the promised land. They say, before we're going to go take this land that God has given us, and let me just tell you something. I believe that God has given us all a promised land. It's our purpose. It's our destiny. It's the thing that he wants us to accomplish in life. And so they get to this place, and they say, we're going to go spy this out. And so what Moses does is he picks 12 guys, Joshua and another guy named Caleb being a part of that, and he sends them into the land to spy it out to see what their future is going to be holding, what it's going to look like. And they go, and they spy out the land, and they come back, and they give this report, and they say, man, this land, let me just tell you something. It is unbelievable. It is flowing with milk and honey. Now, I've never seen a land that's flowing with milk and honey, but that sounds pretty awesome because I like biscuits and honey. And, and so, like, milk and honey is a good combination. And so they're like, it's flowing with milk and honey. The, the ground is fertile. It's unbelievable. And, and it, is, it is everything that God has promised and more but and it's like a big old butt like bigger than sir mix a lot would sing okay i mean it's like huge only if you're a child of the 90s do you understand that statement <laughs> i can't believe somebody just amen that okay they're from canada um <laughs> they go but man there are giants there Man, there are people, they're big, and they are mean, and they are scary. And, and what happens on this fateful day is that these 10 of the 12 guys say, man, there is no way that we can make it in it. And Joshua and Caleb are like, man, but God promised us this. And in that moment, in that day, Moses made a decision to not go into the promised land. He had the opportunity before him, and the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of that opportunity. And he missed the mark. And he missed it, and, and for the next 40 years, man, the Israelites were in a dark, dark place. And this is what I know about all of us that relates to this, is that anytime a faith-filled moment comes our way, anytime that God gives us an opportunity, all of us have a hiding place that we run to. All of us have places where that moment comes up and our natural inclination is to go someplace where we find safety. And what happens is, is, is this God-inspired moment, this God-filled, faith-filled moment arises for them to take the land. And those faith-filled moments that are going to happen in your life this year, those faith-filled moments that are happening right now in your life, that God is encouraging you to take some land. Maybe it's applying for a new job that you've always wanted. Maybe it's asking that person out that you, that's been catching your eye six seats down from you where you're sitting right now. Maybe it's that you're supposed to go out and start a brand new business. Maybe it's that you're going to 
supposed to have some conversation with your wife right now, but you're at odds and there's tension in that relationship and you're being inspired right now. But for most of us, because we have hiding places, what happens is we dive into a couple of places that are really, really solid hiding places for us. For some of us, that's our insecurity. We look at that faith-filled moment, and when that faith-filled moment comes out, you know what comes, what comes out of us is we go, man, I'm just not smart enough, I'm not good enough, and gosh darn it, people don't like me. You know, and we just have these things where we're like, we, look at, we start looking at the opportunity, and then we start looking intrinsically at ourselves, and we start saying, I lack this. I'm not smart enough, man. I don't have the right friends. I'm not financed enough to do this thing. And what happens instead of putting our focus on the opportunity that's before us, we turn inwardly and we focus on what we're lacking in life. And we hide there and we stay in that spot. For others of us in those faith-filled moments, what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to get scared. We have a tendency to run to fear. We have this place where we go to, and it's where the Israelites went to. They saw the giants in the land, and they go, man, we can't do it. I'm terrified of those people. I'm terrified of those people. And what happens for us when we get in this fear-filled place is we start spinning worst-case scenarios. We start thinking about what is the worst thing that can happen, and we fix our eyes on that, and we start going through all the scenarios. Well, if I go in there, like, those people are pretty big, so maybe they like MMA fighters, and they're going to pound the snot out of me, and that's going to be the end of it. Or or maybe it's, if I start that business, you know, then, then there's other competitors in the market field, and they're just going to sift me out right away, and I'm going to go out of business. And we start hiding in those places because we're afraid. For some of us, it's not that we're afraid. It's that we're afraid of failing. I know that this is my hiding place. Like, I have a lot of faith, but what I don't want to do when I step out in faith is I don't want to fail. Maybe, maybe you can relate to that. And so, instead of doing something great for God, you don't do anything at all. And this is what I know for all of us. All of our opportunities in life have an expiration date. And if we don't use it by that expiration date, man, it is no longer good. For others of us, our hiding place is procrastination. We, our response to every situation is, is someday. Someday I'll work on that area of my life. Someday I'll make that career change. Someday I'll ask that person out. And someday becomes never. And what happens is because it's so comfortable to stay in those hiding places that we miss out on the moment. And the Israelites right there, they missed out on the moment. And I believe that right now, there's some opportunities being presented before you, and you're allowing yourself to hide in fear. You're allowing your hi- yourself to hide in procrastination. You're allowing yourself to hide in your own sec- insecurities. And the question that I have for you today is, is, what is your hiding place in life? What is the place that you are hiding yourself in? Maybe it's one of those three. Maybe it's all three. Maybe it's none of those, but man, I think it's important for you to jot that down and recognize where your tendency is to go so that when you start going there, you can start to redirect yourself in life. Because here's what happens is the Israelites don't seize the moment. And for the next 40 years, they have to spend their life in the desert. And, and this is kind of a side note. This is probably going to be another sermon at some point, but the, the faithlessness of one generation cost an entire generation. 
And here, here's the big deal about that, is that your decisions that you're not making today have implications on other people. So dads, let me put it to you like this. That decision that you're not making right now for your family, you know what, it doesn't just hurt you, it hurts your spouse. It hurts your kids, and in some cases, it hurts your kids' kids. And so it isn't just about you, it's about the implications of your decisions that trickle down into other places. Another sermon, another day, but just something for you to think about right there. And so what happens is, is they occur these implications over the next 40 years. They're stranded in the desert because of their lack of faith in that moment. In that faith-filled moment, they ran to a hiding place. And Moses eventually dies, and Joshua takes over as, as the man in charge and starts leading the Israelites, and he brings them to the Jordan River, and the Jordan River happens to be flooded at that moment, and they've got to cross the Jordan River in order to get to this this promised land that they've been waiting on all of these years and and he hears God say take a step in the river and the river will part and you'll pass through and so Joshua takes his first step and steps into the river and the river parts and they pass through next they come up to the city called Jericho God gives some crazy ridiculous instructions to them he says man I want you to march around the city for six days in complete silence like that isn't real terrifying but like this is what I want you to do and this is like the most fortified city in the promised land. It's got the biggest and baddest people in it. It's like what everybody else is afraid of. And so they march around it for six days in silence. And he said, on the seventh day, I want you to march around it and blow trumpets. And so on the seventh day, they march around it and they blow trumpets. And God says, man, the walls will come down and you'll defeat the people. And so they blow the trumpets, walls come down, they defeat the people. And over and over and over again, all throughout Joshua's life, you see the same thing happening and then that's this is that big moves of God are always preceded by obedience to him in small things the big moves of God are always preceded by the by those small things in life and this is important for you and I this is important because some of you guys are believing God for some big big things this year I mean you're believing God for some astronomical things and the thing about those things is that they're preceded by the small acts of obedience that we should be taking right now and some of you guys are asking for some big things but you're not doing the little things that are gonna precede the way for God working a miracle in your life and if we'll do the little things it makes the way for God to do big things in our lives. And so here we're finally getting to Joshua chapter 10. And what's happening is, is uh, and, th- and let me just say, th- this is a little crazy and a little outside the box. I believe it 100%. Here at Coastal, we believe it. Um, you might read this and be like, y'all are smoking crack. That's okay. Um, it happened. It's awesome. It can happen in your life. And, and I just want to precede that. But, uh, but anyways, the context of what's happening here is in the beginning of this chapter, there's five armies of the Amorites, and they're coming together to attack the Israelites because they've seen everything that's happened uh, so far. And uh, this, and Joshua decides, like, we're going to do a sneak attack on them. And so they're traveling throughout the night, and as they're on their way there, this is what God says to Joshua in Joshua 10, 8. He says, do not be afraid of them. The Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. 
And so what happens is the Israelites arrive at dawn. They attack these five armies of their Amorites, and they are kicking the crap out of them. I mean, they are whooping them like crazy. And before long, the Amorites realize that, man, they are outmanned. They are outgunned. They are outmaneuvered, and they start running in fear. And so the Israelites start chasing after them. But a problem arises is, is that as this battle is going on, it starts to get dark. And so in that moment, you would think, like, oh, man, we'll just have to finish this off another day. I mean, like, it's getting dark, and as a leader, like, I, I, I could understand the, the problem that Joshua would have right here, because he's looking at his situation, and maybe you're looking at your situation saying, listen, I've done everything that I can. Like, I had a great game plan. Man, I went and I attacked at the right time. We fought really hard. I mean, we're winning the battle, but it's getting dark. Like, what am I going to do in this moment? And, like, I would have just thrown in the towel and said, hey, we'll come back tomorrow and, and we'll get them. But the problem is, is if they get away, then they'll have the opportunity to regroup and come back and attack. And there's a, there's a big opportunity that we'll lose that battle. But Joshua thinks a little bit differently. And Joshua prays one of the boldest prayers that is in the entire Bible. And it just kind of blows my mind. And uh, this is what it says in verse 12. It says, on that day, the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites. Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people. Now, this is interesting to me because if, if I'm going to make a really, really bold prayer, I'm probably not going to do it in front of everybody else. Like, I'm going to probably go in the corner and hide out and pray right there. So in case it doesn't happen, like, nobody's like, you're the joker to blame for this, you know. Um, and so, but, but Joshua, he operates a little bit different. He does it in front of everybody, and he said this. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of whatever that word is. Thank you. He said, God, will you freeze time? Like, that is a, like, like, God, can you please turn the, the light green? Like, that's a bold prayer. Or, like, for some of y'all, your boldest prayer is, like, can I please have a close parking spot at the Sawgrass Mills Mall? Like, and that's all the faith that you got mustered up. This joker is going, God, will you stop the sun and the moon and hold it in place so that we can do something awesome here and make your name famous? Like, that is a bold prayer in that moment. And this is what it, he goes on to say. And it says, so the sun stood still. And the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. That is crazy. That is a crazy, crazy prayer for a crazy, crazy situation. And my question for all of us is, is what is that sun stand still prayer that you need to be praying in your life? What is that prayer that is so big, that is so audacious, that is so outlandish, that is so big, that like it scares you to even utter those words out loud? Like what is that thing that is like the, the elephant in the room that like you know is there, but man, like if you address that thing, like you're gonna have to actually do something about it in your life. And maybe for you, it's, it's that your marriage is broken, and, and it's so broken that there's no fixing it. And it's like you and your spouse can't even be in the same room. There is just friction. In fact, when you see each other, you just want to punch each other in the throat. But you don't because I would send you to jail. And so don't do that. And so, but you don't even like each other, and you're struggling in your relationship, and, and those things are happening. And, you need, and you're like, man, God, I know you can heal this marriage. I know you can do something supernatural in this thing. I know that you can do this, and you need to pray a bold prayer, and you need to make sure that your spouse hears that prayer, that you're not giving up on this relationship, but you're believing God for the miraculous in your life. You're, you're believing for a marriage that is anything but ordinary. 
for others of you, man, you've got this, this tingling inside. You've got this thing inside that's this telling you, like, man, it's time for me to change my career. And maybe that's because God is calling you into ministry. Maybe that's because you know that you're supposed to start a business, and you look at your situation, you go, man, my finances aren't going to add up in that. Man, my lifestyle is not going to add up in that thing. And you start going, I don't know what to do. And you need to start praying a big sun stand still prayer over that moment. Believe in God for the miraculous in your situation. And this is what I found in my life that is so, so important. Is that what seems impossible to me isn't remotely difficult with God. What seems so impossible to me isn't difficult at all for God. It's just not. I mean, it's not like every time I pray one of these bold prayers, God answers it, but there's many times that I've prayed a bold prayer and God has answered it. And then there's some times that I've prayed some really, really bold prayers and like God never even responded to that prayer. But you know what? I've never regretted stepping out in faith and trusting God. There's never been a situation that I've been like, I should have never done that. I've always been like, man, that was the best decision I made in that moment because I at least put God first in my situation. And I know that some of you guys are immediately going to go to like, you know what, man, I'm not Joshua. I don't have faith like that. I mean, like, I don't even pray prayers like that. Like, that kind of praying is, like, out of this world. Like, I'll struggle going to Chipotle after church and praying for my food, okay? Like, so so praying, like, some bold prayer for God to do something miraculous and the sun to stand still, like, I, that just isn't going to happen. Like, I wouldn't even know where to start for that in my life. And I think something that's really, really interesting for Joshua it's something that skipped over most of the time about his life. And this is what I know about you and I, is that if we want our lives to look differently than they currently are, then we need to do something differently than we're currently doing. And I think the reason Joshua had this faith and this trust to step out and pray this ridiculously bold prayer was because of something that was happened in his life previously in Exodus 33. And I want to show it to you in Exodus 33, verse 7 through 11. It says, Moses was in the practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent of the meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrances of their own tents. And they would all watch as Moses disappeared inside. And as he went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tent. So basically what would happen is Moses was kind of God's uh, voice going back and forth to the people. And so Moses would go meet with God and have these conversations about what was happening in life. He was kind of the mediator between God and the people. And so he would go into the tent and experience the presence of God. And people would just stand outside in awe that God was showing up there in that moment. Like, it was an incredible thing. But the next verse is the verse that really makes it happen. It says, inside the tent of the meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of the meeting. Joshua, after Moses would get done spending time with God, Joshua would remain in the tent. Now, like, why in the world did Moses leave? I don't know. Like, Moses was a busy dude. Like, he was a leader. Maybe he had an appointment. Maybe he had a meeting to get to. 
But Joshua stayed in the tent in the presence of God. What Joshua basically was saying is he's saying, listen, it doesn't matter what's happening in life. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are around me. The most important thing in my life, the most critical thing that I can have is God's presence. And so wherever God's presence is, wherever he's at, that's what I'm going to pursue. Man, I'm going to find him in his word. I'm going to find him in worship. I'm going to find him in prayer. I'm going to spend time with him. And that, that time that Joshua spent with God ended up being the fuel inside of him to cause him to step out and pray and say the boldest prayer the history of mankind has ever experienced. And this is what I really believe is critical for us to discover out of this is that contact with the creator is essential for faith-filled living. Having this relationship with our God, because it isn't about a, b a bunch of rules and regulations, what Jesus is after and what God is after, why he sent his son to die 2,000 years ago was so that we could have a relationship with him, was so that we could know him intimately, so that we could see him, so that we could hear his voice, so we could follow his lead. And what we need to be doing is, man, we need to be pursuing God in his word. We need to be pursuing God in prayer. We need to be engaging him in worship. We need to be seeking after him with all of our heart. Because if we're not doing any of those things, when the, the time comes to go into battle, we're not going to have any bullets in our gun. If we're not filling our gun up with some bullets. This is so essential for us. Everything rises on falls. On our contact with the Creator. On our relationship with God. And it's essential for us, if we're going to have a life that is anything but ordinary, to know Him. About nine months ago, on a Friday afternoon, I, I probably got some of the worst news I, I've ever gotten. And uh, I've been working on a project for six months. Every moment of my spare time, um, most of my work days were spent giving myself to something I believe that God had called me to. I mean, it was tenacious about it. It was what I thought about. It was what I dreamt about. It was what I talked about. And this Friday afternoon, I, I got a phone call that, that dashed every ounce of that vision and that dream that God had given me. And I went into an emotional downspin. Like, I, I, I remember going home that afternoon and just sitting on my couch, putting on a blanket, and just being like, I, I'm, I'm not moving from here. And literally, for the next couple of days, like, I just sat on the couch in the corner. Like, trying to overcome this depression that I was feeling. And, like, I didn't open my, my Bible. I didn't talk to God. I was just, like, I was mad at the world, I was mad at God, I was mad at everything, and I thought, like, well, eventually I'm going to have to go back to church, and, like, they're probably going to want to hear something, and, and so I should probably read my Bible here just for myself, and, and I should probably, you know, try to reconcile here with God in this moment, and, 
And I opened up my Bible, and it, it just happened to fall into Isaiah 41. And I don't recommend this as a way for God to answer your prayers or whatever. But, uh, and there was a verse in there that, that was highlighted this, just been like one of those verses over the years that has meant a lot to me. And it was like God was trying to tell me a message, and, and I just want to read it to you. And it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in that moment where I just learned that this church that we we're in the process of building was taken away in a moment. In the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my pain, God just, just stepped out and he said, man, don't be afraid. I was so afraid that I was going to walk into church and people were going to be like, can't follow this guy. He just jacked this whole thing up. He said, I'm with you. Not only am I with you, but I'm holding your hand throughout the whole entire way. For some of you today, I think you're probably going through a difficult spot. You're going through a difficult moment, and, and I believe God wants to tell you the same thing. He wants to say, man, don't be afraid. Don't get caught up in your insecurities. Don't get caught up procrastinating. Don't put off because, man, I've got you. I've got you. And no matter how bad it gets, Remember that I'm holding you in my righteous right hand. And in that place, man, you're protected, you're safe, and you're secure. And there is hope for your situation. Today, what I thought was a dead thing is getting started in two minutes. For some of you, what you thought was going to be a dead thing in your life, God's about to start up. If you'll grab hold of that, that God is there and he's here to help you and he's here to hold you in this moment and see your life become anything but ordinary. Let's pray. Father God, I just come before you. And I know that life isn't easy. I know that at times life can be difficult. But this is what I know about all of us is that there are opportunities that are before us right now, God, that you've been placing there and we've been ignoring, thinking that someday we'll take advantage of those, thinking that, man, I don't have the capacity to do that. I don't have the influence to do that. God, I pray that you help us, none of us, to miss the lifetime of that opportunity. God, that we would step forth in a faith-filled manner today. Realizing that our strength isn't going to come from our ability, but our strength is going to come from our relationship with you. And maybe there's some people here today that they've heard about a, a lot about rules, they've heard a lot about religion, but they haven't heard much about the fact that Jesus came to this earth and died so that he could have a relationship with you. And contact with our Creator is essential for our faithful living. Yes, it will get us to heaven, but God wants us to live a life that is so much more than just getting to heaven. He wants us to have immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. 
And maybe you need to make a decision today to put Jesus first in your life. And so if that's you, I would just ask that you would pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud. Just say this, Jesus, I'm tired of living on my own. I'm trying to, tired of doing it my own way. And today, I put my faith, I put my trust, I put my confidence in you. And I recognize that you died 2,000 years ago so that I could have life and have it more abundantly. Today, I repent of my mistakes, I repent of my sin, and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Let's start a relationship here today. God, and I pray for the rest of us that we would be bold and courageous. That, Lord, that we would pray some audacious, crazy prayers that would knock our socks off just us saying them out loud. And, God, we would watch and see you do the miraculous in life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.